0: hi it's the girl out there right here with you it's me cindy and this week we are here with jeff smith hi jeff hi cindy how are you hi good i i think this is so exciting because uh you and i have known each other for 30 years wow Okay.
1: that's (laughs) great that really yeah that age, that age to the both of us right now. I know,
0: <laughs> I know. I'm gonna say it's gonna age you more than me because I feel like I'm still 13. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, I can't, I, I can't share that same feeling, Cindy. So you went on that <laughs>
0: one. So I'll, I'll say a little bit about uh, the two of us, and we met um, in in grade eight, right? and uh crazy and uh your wife is in the background uh um and I'm just going to mention her because I love her too and uh so we all went to high school together and uh which is you know I I still joke about it that you were on the football team and I was the football manager (laughs) Right, I remember that absolutely and uh and the good old days and now what's so great and so amazing is that our boys are dear friends and uh also play football together I know at the same high school
1: so (laughs) great it is so weird and and you know I was driving home from uh uh, what we're talking about football I was driving home from Seattle yesterday we had a football tournament in Seattle and I was thinking about that thinking about today and going how great is that that we met in a high school friends in high school and now yeah. uh today I'm going to be on your on your show and talking to you having this great conversation so um, yeah super weird uh, <laughs> but great it's uh yeah from all all different angles I, I think totally. yeah, yeah
0: I know I love it so, so so Jeff I I asked you to be on here because um and and I will tell you uh people who know me and this podcast I cry very easily so at some point I might cry today and just bear with me look the other way yeah
1: um
0: but your story I feel is so important and um and one that will reach many and um you know as soon as I saw you had posted something on or Leanne had put po- your wife had posted something and I had not realized what you had been going through through and uh it just immediately hit me and uh I just was like I I I need to talk to Jeff um so I don't know if you where you want to start how you want to start just dive in share a little bit
1: sure absolutely well first first of all uh, Cindy I really appreciate you having me on the show to tell my story because I, I I think it's a great opportunity to Connect with people that might be suffering uh, or might be going through the similar experience that I went through, and that's that's my motivation behind what I'm doing now. And and uh, so I really appreciate this opportunity to be here and speaking to you and to you and speaking to Cindy, an old friend, right? So uh, this yeah. is really great. I appreciate it. Um, so Cindy, as you know, I I, uh, I spent the better part of uh, 20 years working as a paramedic in the Lower Mainland. Um, I uh, people have asked me why did you become a paramedic? And it, it, uh, I don't know if it's something that I always wanted to do, but I came from a family of um, first responders. As you know, Leanne's a police officer, Uh, her brother, my brother-in-law's a a fire chief on on the North shore. Uh, My mom was a nurse. So I didn't know what I wanted to do early on, but I knew that I wanted to help people. And so out of high school, I got this, I was working on a golf course and I, I, an opportunity came up to be a first aid attendant and I took a first aid course and I was kind of hooked. I, I went, how do I build upon this? How do I, what can I do with this now? I need to get into a career. I was, uh, I think I was still living at home at that time and, and bumming off mom and dad and, and it was time to get out of the house and get into a career. And I was driving by a Lion's Gate hospital of all things. And on the North shore and saw a couple of guys cleaning up the stretcher and I, I went up to them. I said, Hey guys, how do you, what's the deal with becoming a paramedic? What do you need to do? And they said, well, why don't you come out with us tonight and do ride along? And I was hooked, Cindy. I was right off the bat. They were doing all sorts of great stuff, helping people, uh, running red lights, you know, getting to play with the sirens and all that kind of stuff. So I went, this this seems like a cool job. And and I dove right into it. So that's kind of how I started. Um, and I, I don't know if people, the general public know some of the challenges that, um, paramedics especially faced with early on in their career but in british columbia the service is a is a provincial ambulance service and when you start um it's it's takes a number of years to get full-time so it took me th- i knew i had about five years till i got full-time and you can only work full-time in the city in in vancouver early mm-hmm. on so uh so for the first five years i bounced around the province i uh i'm on Gallian. have you ever been to galliano island cindy no, nope. so Galliano Island, like one of the Gulf Islands. So that was my first station, which is so bizarre. So I would commute there um, uh, on the weekends to go over there and work part time. Uh, uh, and, and in between that, we're trying to make a living. So I'm, I'm putting in shifts to other stations, working back to back shifts, uh, uh, doing what I can to sort of make a living. So it's very much like a hustle, as I described. I was hustling for the first five years. and. And I mentioned this as a, I'm, a, I'm a paramedic instructor, so I'm really passionate about teaching students mental health. But when I started, mental there wasn't anything about mental health. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, what you did if you saw or you felt something after a call. Uh, that just did not exist. I was trained very well to deal with any kind of medical emergency in the pre-hospital setting. I was well prepared for that, but I wasn't prepared for um, things that I would see throughout my career. And you know, I, I I relate, you know, now that we were talking about high school, Cindy, starting the ambulance was kind of like starting high school. You know, like in grade eight, um, I was very much new at this career, didn't know a lot of people, didn't know what the, the cultural norms were. And I sort of modeled my behavior from some of the paramedics that I thought were strong paramedics, people that were stoic, that didn't talk about um, how they felt after a call. So, and I knew that that when these people did talk about calls was typically after the shift at the bar uh, we had you know a lot of good friends we'd, we'd go out after and and drink and that's when we would talk about these calls so that that became one of my coping mechanisms early on good or bad but that's how I dealt with some of the challenges and stresses that I faced
0: so you would go after to a bar all together and just sort of debrief and yeah, you like seeing yeah. horrible things
1: just so what Absolutely. And I'm not saying that every shift is like that as a paramedic, but there would be shifts where you would see some, some really horrific things. And and it seemed like the people that I was looking up to did so after work and they did so when they were drinking and they, you seem to have this bond with the people that you worked with and that you sort of immersed yourself in that. And that became one of my coping mechanisms early. So after five years, I finally got full time in, in Vancouver. And this is when I started to notice that maybe the coping mechanisms and strategies that I had developed to deal with some of these situations were starting to, to fail on me. So in 2007, um, and I hope you don't mind, I'm going to share some, some information that might be um, a little, little bit triggering for, for those, but I think it's important just yes. you know, to be transparent about what, what I was going through. So in 2007, there was a, a gangland shooting in Vancouver, uh, where six people were shot. And, and I responded to that call. And i had never seen anything like that before. in in my life, like, you know, these are things that you see on TV and, and, uh, you know, movies and that sort of, thing, and I'd never experienced anything like that. And I remember going through that situation, and really feeling like I was, um, it was like, I wasn't there, like I was sort of, disassociated with that situation and remember looking around and seeing my coworkers working in that scene where, you know, there was multiple people that had been shot and critically injured and they were just all doing their job. And I was blown away that we were. In this horrific situation and people were acting normally or doing Hmm. their jobs like they were trained to do. Like there was no one crying or screaming or throwing up because things were horrific. They really were, but I looked around and I went, this is so bizarre there's this horrific scene where another human being has done this to somebody else and all these people are just doing their job like they were trained to do. And I struggled with that. I remember driving home after that shift and really feeling like, you know, people have talked about moral injuries that people experience. And I really felt that I felt that I can't, could not believe that another human being would uh, erase somebody's lives, multiple people's lives like that. And uh, good, you know, It didn't matter who these people were or the bad things that they'd done. It just, it really struck, I struggled with that. So my coping mechanisms to drink became something that I started to do on my own. And I started to isolate myself because every time I would think about these, I would go over and over that scene in that restaurant and feel and, and the feelings, what it felt like to be in that restaurant and experience that is something that I kept thinking about over and over again. And I found that drinking at the time helped with that, and so this became sort of a thing that I I began to do on my own and sort of pull away from my family and friends and and uh, yeah, I was I was I was getting lost in alcohol and and still you know I think I was functioning fairly well at that point. I was uh, you know going to work and and we were starting. Leanne and I had started to have kids. I think Ethan at that age, Brady was born. Brady and Ethan, right? Brady, yeah. So, um, you know, young kids at home and, and, uh, and struggling, you know, stressful that is Cindy, And I, yes. you know, I know you have two boys and, and so we share that as well too, but, um, you know, did so you try have, to
0: did, sorry, did you yeah, also, were you able to, were you seeing a therapist or anything at that point? Or you just, that was not something.
1: No, no. And the reason why Cindy is good. I'm glad you asked that because why would I see a therapist? My job My job is to show up and put my emotions aside to do my job. That is part of my job. That's my job requirement. Right. So why, why would I why would I admit that there's anything wrong with me? Right? Because that would be admitting that I can't do the job. Right. Right. And that very is a, a stigma that still exists. It's a cultural norm because these jobs require people to act normal in situations that are completely abnormal. Right. So it's very challenging. To put your hand up and say, you know what, I, I can't do my job today. Right. And because you're in fear of being judged that way. So I, I struggled with that, as things were starting to fall apart. Um, in 2009, uh, you know, this drinking had, had sort of taken on a mind of its own at this point, And I'm starting to notice that, you know, I'm pulling away from, from definitely from my relationship with Leanne and our, our marriage is, is going through some real challenges. We've got young kids at home and and then I'm rocked by this, you know, it was in 2009. It was the last, my last shift before I went on holidays. I was looking forward to going to Hawaii with, uh, with my parents, uh, with our family, my sister and all that, you know, looking forward to that. Anyways, this, the, my last shift, um, halfway through our shift, it, it, one of the greatest experiences that you'll ever experience as a paramedic, being part of a, a birth was, was really, I, was, I had an opportunity to be part of delivering twins 17 year old girl in the downtown east side and and uh, so i was part of this wonderful experience of delivering these twin babies and and the very next call was for a two-year-old girl um that unfortunately was run over by a tow truck and and, and died instantly and her mother was critically injured and that being part of that and you know where I was in my state of my, cope, my coping mechanisms that and my supports that I thought were really strong that sort of tipped me over the edge and that that's when I became a daily you know drinker I would uh, I couldn't handle the the hyper vigilance I couldn't a- handle the, the 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 intrusive thoughts and and dealing with that and and you know I had a two-year-old son at home so it was very much struggled with with that, uh, you, you know, just being part of that whole scene and, and struggling with the nightmares and the flashbacks. And so I got lost in alcohol and I, and, and I completely isolated myself and I, I drank and it was something that I did from the moment I get up, up got up to the moment I went to sleep. Uh, I used, you know, I used prescription drugs to try to sleep at night and, and it just became this groundhog day of the same thing over and over again.
0: And were you still working at the same time?
1: You know, I, yeah. So I, I was uh, starting to miss work at this point. I'm starting to call in sick and and just because I I didn't want to face that right. anymore. Right. So I, right. I uh, so Leanne had I'd said, listen, we need our marriage is falling apart. Why don't we go see, at least go see a marriage counselor? Well, I, And I I was in open to that because I knew that this had nothing to do with I was trying to put this as if it didn't have anything to do with what I had dealt with at work. This is maybe right. it's a marriage that's that's the problem. Maybe it's somebody else that, right. that is the problem. So this marriage counselor took one uh, look at us and said, listen, I, I, Jeff, I think you need to see a trauma therapist. I, I think there's some more stuff going on. And, and she did, and she put me in touch with a psychologist. And then that was the first time that I'd ever heard like a, a diagnosis of PTSD. And, and right. so I, I did get the help. It sort of streamlined and, and I was able to get the help that I needed at that point. Um, I got myself sober. I've been sober for uh, 12 years. Um, you know, we, we went through some, some um, exposure therapy uh, and, it, and it sort of helped. It's sort of, but I, you know, I felt
0: that's exposure therapy.
1: Well, it's, and that's the challenge I it will speak maybe a little bit more to that in a sec. Sure. I want to, but I do want to touch base on that exposure yeah. therapy. So um, is one of the treatment uh, modalities for, uh, for PTSD, there's cognitive behavioral therapy, there's exposure therapy, and that would be sort of giving you some tools and skill set as you're going over that experience again and talking about it and feeling it um but giving you some tools to deal with um the uncomfortable symptoms as you're going through that and so right. eventually that becomes uh, you desensitize desensitized to to that situation and I, I found that challenging because you'd have to talk about it and go over the images again and, and I I struggled with that but I did seem to get better I got um I I developed some really good coping mechanisms. I I got into exercise and I took up woodworking, which is like super random because I never, Cindy, I was never in high school. I was never into (laughs) woodworking or anything like that. I was like, I was like, not even up the alley. Super random. That's how
0: you've developed all of the stuff you create now?
1: Yeah. So, so that's, so yeah. Talk about like an addict going from... (laughs) abusing alcohol to like, woodworking that's all I did on my days off so instead of drinking I started woodworking, and uh it was great it was like it was uh it was kind of funny because I'd be the guy at the station they called me like the Pinterest guy so I'd be like the Martha Stewart at the station like like going oh what project am I going to do next right on my days off so but that became it. <laughs> <laughs> so it it became my my new passion and it was great it's a healthy alternative yes. to what I was doing so yeah I dove into that but as you know with teenagers and I'm going to relate what I was going through in this moment in my career to me being a teenager I felt like my mental health was behind me this PTSD Mm -hmm. is something that did not exist anymore nor did I need to ever address it again and and I I don't need to um, get in touch with that this is something that I've very much behind me I'm not going to tell anyone at work that I went through there's no way in hell that I'm going to tell anyone that I went through that. And I'm just going to get back to life. That is something behind me. I was a little speed bump and uh, things are good now. And so, and things were fairly good. It went on the next 10 years of my career. I had a great partner who's, who's now uh, one of my best friends, but um, you know, but we, we've the volume of exposure to suffering. I worked in the downtown East side for the last couple of years prior to that in Surrey, uh, sort of the, the beginning of the opioid uh, uh, pandemic. And so it just became a volume of exposure and, and volume of it being exposed to suffering and and death and, and those kind of things. And it, I didn't start noticing things um, were wrong until until it was almost too late for me. I was, uh, we were dealing in in two thousand nineteen with a girl that had, uh, 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 sorry to share this again, but a girl that had been run over by a tow truck, a thirteen year old girl, and I was under. The truck and, it, and everything came back to me it was like I was back in 2009 all the same sounds and feelings and and uh, yeah it, it it and it froze me in a moment where I, I didn't even know what to do it was underneath this truck trying to help this girl and anyways I managed to get through the call but I noticed from that night, night on that I started to have the nightmares again and the flashbacks again and um I started to for the first time ever um, I'd never thought about, um, you know, suicide or anything like that, but i I was feeling so depressed, um, that this was back. Uh, I didn't know how to speak about it. I didn't know who to tell, who to talk about it. Um, my partner, who, who's one of my best friends was appeared to be doing fine. Uh, and I, I felt, I, I felt a challenge, like to, to say anything to him, you know, how am I going to tell him that I'm struggling? Hmm. And so, I began to isolate myself again, and and uh, eventually I, I ended up taking some time off work and, and getting into a, a program for uh, first responders that have dealt with PTSD. It was a wonderful po- program, but um, I went through this 10-week program, and when I came out, still struggling with the nightmares and flashbacks, and now starting to get these thoughts of suicide. And, and, and I, Cindy, I feel kind of hopeless at this point. I feel like I've done uh, a lot of the treatments for PTSD have just gone through this two month treatment program. There's, there's psychologists there. There's uh, dieticians. There was all sorts of, I felt like I've done, I've done a lot of work and I'm still struggling with these flashbacks and nightmares. And that's when people talk about being hopeless and not having, I was losing hope or I'd lost right. hope. I, so my days kind of became consumed with how am I going to get out of this? how am I going to end this suffering? And it led to me thinking about, okay, I need to kill myself. I can't do this anymore. And so i talked and sort of joked to um, people about this. You would think as a paramedic who's attended, you know, multiple suicides that I would know how to end my life. And I didn't, I, 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 you know what, that's what I, I spent days kind of thinking about. And then February 16th, 2019, Actually, prior to that, uh, the, the, on the 15th, I, had, uh, I, I drove to the Lionsgate Bridge. I, uh, I drove and I parked my car underneath the bridge and, and and I just sat there and I was trying to figure out if I could get the nerve to get up onto that bridge deck and, 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 uh, and end the suffering. And, and so I didn't, I, I got scared that night, I drove home. And the next day um, was another you know sleepless night and things weren't going right. And I, I felt terrible. I felt low. Uh, I dropped my son, Ethan, off at the gym. And at this time, I felt like, you know what, the only way out of here is this option. And I I felt committed to the plan. I drove to Park Royal, parked my car, um, walked up on the bridge deck. I remember, you know, I was crying, walking past this. There's a man I you know, walked past and I get up and and I'm over the railing at this point. And it's uh, and I've talked about this before. And it's um, like one of these scariest, you know, saddest moments in your life, but it became the most peaceful moment in my life. It it became this like beautiful Vancouver night and the lights. I remember everything. And I remember finally feeling in control. Like I never, you know, I'd spent like these last 10, 12 years of feeling completely out of control now i was in control now i could end the suffering and um you know i and so i'm, I'm having this kind of moment and i can hear uh in the distance i can hear sirens uh coming in and i'm, I'm no sort of correlation that this might be for me and uh and so uh, before i know it there's a police officer uh like right next to the railing with me and she's trying her best to talk to me and and um, yeah, and, and, you know, thank God she did because, the, the, you know, she managed to to say something that was able to get me over the railing and, and, and I was, uh, yeah, I was um, apprehended uh, with Vancouver police and taken to St. Paul's to get some help. So, um, but Cindy, you know, like I had been on that bridge deck with so many people in those moments, like, and I tried to empathize with them and understand what they were going through, but I didn't. I really didn't until I was in that situation. There's, I don't know if there's anything you can say to somebody in those moments that would, but yeah, I, I, I.
0: Do you know what the words were that she said?
1: No, I, but I do remember something that was amazing that night. And, and uh, so it's, it's, it's just policy. You have to be put in handcuffs and in the back of a police car. It's, it's very, Cold going from this moment where you're like complete control to now being you've lost control again, right? So right. it's this moment of like, and then I was you know frustrated and sad. And anyways, that my wife's Leanne's uh, one of her former partners uh, uh, works for Vancouver Police now, and he heard this call go over the radio. I guess got my name got mentioned and and uh, it, and, and what I did. It, someone I don't know how they did, but they found out that it was a paramedic. But it was Jeff Smith. Carlos heard this and he drove to the scene and he just came up and he and it's I know we're not supposed to do this to, to people, but he hugged me and he just said, "Jeff, I love you." And it was one of the greatest. Like I'll never forget that. Like anything that anyone said to me that night, I'll, I'll just the way he made me feel in that moment. Like I felt human again. I didn't feel like this um, because there was yeah. There was a lot of like as I was driving or as I was coming off the bridge, there was people driving by. You know saying horrible things like and, and i i hate the fact that this is you know this this even like people were saying things like why don't you just jump like how dare you hold up traffic you know those kind of things so it was so nice to feel human again and and to yeah. have that connection in that moment um yeah 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 it meant everything it meant so much so i uh yeah yeah, I was taken to the hospital and, and I spent, uh, that was a whole experience in itself is, is to be on the other side of it. I mean, this is a hospital that I worked at, you know, brought patients to in a similar situation as me. And now I'm, I'm the patient. And, uh, and so that was, that was a different experience. And, and, um, and, but I did, I got out of the hospital and things, and that's kind of been, you know, that, that, that was 14 months ago. And, and what I've been able to do now has been really cool. So, um, now,
0: had you, I'm just, thank you, Jeff, for being so vulnerable to share that. Thank well, you. And it. sorry. <laughs> no,
1: yeah, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't, yeah.
0: Um, had you, I'm just curious, had you spoken with Leanne leading up to that? Like, did Leanne know that this, like, was, I just am thinking of Leanne on the other side. Was she, like, was she blown away that that had happened? Was she thinking that maybe this was a possibility? Yeah,
1: I I don't think I ever really told Leanne how I other than I felt so low, I felt down, right. and I found I don't think Leanne knew how low I felt. Uh, people have asked me, City. I had friends that said, "How? Why didn't you call me in that moment? Why, Jeff? Right. You could have called me." I didn't want to call anyone. I didn't want to burden right. anyone. I felt so isolated. I I wanted out of here. I wanted. I was committed to ending, and I didn't want to burden anyone and tell anyone. Right. So. You know, I know I, I probably hurt people. I know friends that you know kind of felt like, hey, like you know, if I was your close friend, why don't you call me? You know, you can call me for that. And it wasn't a case of that. It was just a, I didn't want to burden anyone. I didn't want anyone to know, and those kind of things. So
0: yeah,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. It, and that that is a challenge with people that that feel in that state is to getting them to talk, getting yeah. them to show those feelings, right? That that yeah. that's a challenge.
0: Yes. So,
1: so that's um, yeah. So what's interesting is I get out of the hospital and I hope you don't mind. Can I, you'll be sharing yeah. the rest of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, I get to the, the hospital and, and, uh, and I'm like, what now, what am I, the hell am I going to do now? I, I can't be a paramedic anymore. I, I feel like I, that ship has sailed. I definitely know it's like really led to some dark moments in my life and I need to think about something else. And, and now this is, you know, I've got, oh, what am I going to tell people, um, and and the thought of doing any more kind of counseling or something is just i don't want to speak to anyone anymore i'm fed up my sister actually knows a a therapist and and you're gonna laugh when you hear his name. His name's Stephen king but so amy amy goes jeff i want you to speak to steve steve king and i go yeah okay you got to be kidding i'll you know so she goes just try it so anyways i think cindy and i were talking about this before but it what was great is that um, Steve said, why don't we do a zoom session? It's been one of the one, most amazing things that have come out is, of this pandemic is being able to, um, remotely do some of these therapies and, 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 uh, meetings and all that kind of stuff. Cause I hated going to doctor's office. I hated uh, being in the waiting room with people that, that um, you know, I, I couldn't relate to. So I'm, I'm, you know, in my house immediately I go, okay, well, you know, like that, if I don't need to go see him, if you can just like, you can do this, in my house, sure. Let's have a conversation. And so uh, after our first session, we and Steve introduced me to this um, uh, treatment modality, totally different than I'd ever done before. And it didn't involve me having to tell a story. It didn't involve any exposure therapy. I didn't have to go over the details. Um, and we went through this, uh, his treatment modality that he's developed. Uh, he has been working in the field of addictions and trauma for the last 30 years. And we know that addictions and trauma are very much integrated. Right. Um, so Steve introduced me to this treatment modality that uses uh, energy psychology. It uses some acupressure points. Um, and, and you know, he urged me to be skeptical. And, and after the first session, uh, I did notice a shift. I was uh, sleeping through the nights. Uh, the nightmares and flashbacks were gone. Uh, and I had now this skill set to help navigate um, some of the challenges because I I don't think that you ever PTSD ever really goes away I think that you sort of have some um lingering images and and thoughts but there you you have developed a skill set to help deal with those how your nervous nervous system reacts in those situations and so now I very much had a skill set to help which I didn't before you know I'd I'd done all these types of therapies but there wasn't anything about you know, what do you do after? What about the post-traumatic growth after? So um, now I had this, this skill set and it's very much, you know, we were having this conversation um, uh, a few weeks after. I was having a conversation with Steve and he said, you know, looking at your future, what are some things that you want to do? What, like goal setting and that sort of thing. So I had said, always said that I would love to be able to help others out. I was still very much, you know, I, I love that part about being a paramedic helping people out. I loved having conversations with people, connecting with people. So I still wanted to do that. And I felt like I could really wanted to help people, others out that might be going through a similar similar situation as me. So we started this nonprofit organization. That's what we've been kind of spending this last, these 14 months on is, is uh, trying to get education resources out to first responders that are dealing with PTSD. And, and because I don't believe there's enough support and I really don't believe there's enough awareness about it. Um, so yeah that's been our focus uh we yeah
0: so what so I mean I think it's incredible I think I think really uh, like I've said to you even in my work um which I think a little it is quite a little similar to what he is doing um but what I have found for myself is And I work with men and sometimes they don't want to share their working with me, which is totally fine. Um, But I've heard a lot of people that have post-traumatic stress and some who are first responders and um, and that this work they find too with, with energy where they did not want to believe it at the beginning. And suddenly they said, this actually does work. It's incredible. So what is it that you're like, can you go into a little bit further with what it is that you're doing? Like,
1: Yeah, I I think that almost the the best person to be, uh, would be Steve to explain the technique, but I can give you an overview of of what it sort of involves. And, and, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned energy, and and I think we hear the word, maybe there's a bit of a stigma associated with the word energy and, and people think, okay, this might be, Way too yeah. out there for me, yes. but let's think about energy in terms of post-traumatic stress, which I think there is a tremendous amount of energy uh, you're dealing with. Symptoms that involve hypervigilance, uh, anxiety, so you're you're constantly, as we would say, with a patient sympathetically stimulated. You have adrenaline uh, that that's that's uh, constantly being uh, you know pushed through your body. So, uh, as a matter of fact, we give adrenaline in patients in cardiac arrest when their heart has stopped to try to get that heart to beat again faster so you can imagine how powerful this chemical is in your body and, and the amount of energy that, it, um, that is, is created so the detachment technique very much focuses on that is being able to release some of that energy and so using some of these meridian points using a combination of EFT we're using tapping um, also there's uh, accelerated information processing so um, there's some acupressure points uh, that we use and going through um, you don't have to say anything about the call or the experience or whatever it may be, but it's very much you going through that on your own and using acupressure to help, uh, calm your nervous system in that moment. It gives you a sort of a skill set to deal with some of the daily stresses that we face. Like as a parent, Cindy, this, these teenage years, oh my, like, it's unbelievable. I use, I use this technique for myself in those moments when, um, yeah when it's stressful, it's, it's challenging, right? Yeah. I think that, you know, and I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. Um, you know, I, I look at uh, curriculum and, and uh, what kids learn in school and, and I wish that we, um, our kids learned how their minds and bodies react to, to stress at an early age. Cause I don't think we would see the level of people suffering with anxiety and, and, um, these different disorders that we're seeing as a as a result of that, people don't know how to react to stress and and yeah. and what to do in those situations, and it's a challenge. I think that should be part of our curriculum. I think we should be teaching our children early.
0: Totally. I just think like listening to all of it, where like knowing how you say no that I am this is a this is not normal situation, and I have to remove myself, and all the, the things that you just thought you had to do. Um, I I know even for myself totally unrelated to what you've had to do on an everyday basis but I remember I was at the Lynn Valley Uh, situation last year and um and I witnessed it all and um and I remember when I left it um I got in my car I called my mom and I was almost at a state of she says I don't actually remember the calling her um because he I just saw so much and then I fro, like I froze almost because I couldn't understand what this man was doing in front of me and then all these co- like caught co- everybody there and I got in my car and I just said she said I was almost hysterical laughing like I just saw this and uh it took me about three hours to come to a regular state And then it was two days later, I was walking down Lonsdale and two ambulances drove by me and I ducked into a side um, underneath and I just started bawling,
1: um,
0: which just shows, but I, and then I just couldn't relate it all together, but then it did make sense, I guess in my mind, like it's almost like then it was like a bit of PTSD, like fast. I was like, and then it all just sort of, then I was able to grieve what I had seen at Lynn valley space for those who don't know what i'm talking about there was a mass thing that occurred um for those who are listening in other areas of north Vancouver. not north but so i just think for you to have had years and years of that um and seeing these things and then not being able to process those and understand them right it's i can't even imagine
1: yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Cindy. And, I, and honestly, I, I can't imagine what you went through and how horrific that must have been, right? Um, uh, it, it, that that's the problem is is exactly what you said. Is that and um, as a as an instructor, I, I teach paramedics, and we and I feel negligent telling people that you really need you, you do you have to put your emotions aside to do the job. Yeah. You have to. You couldn't. You couldn't. couldn't walk in and start crying or or. No you know, or running away, which is a total normal reaction to some of these things. So it is backwards what we're doing, and, and, the, and what we're starting to see is that people are suffering because of it, because exactly what you're saying, they don't get that opportunity to release that energy. Yes. You know, you, um, you very much use the analogy of uh, predator versus prey in the wild. Uh, if you've ever watched a, a deer get away from uh, its uh, predator, if it manages to get away, it, it'll sit there and shake and that's yeah. that adrenaline going through the body that so it gets yes. an opportunity to release that when do you do that as a first responder when do you when you're doing 15 20 calls a shift when do you get a chance to release that energy and that's you're
0: doing, yeah you're doing exactly what we're not supposed to you're going towards the danger
1: that's right yeah that's great right. and it and it is like and i understand and people have said that you know well you chose that career and and uh You know, and I've had people, I've had people say that, you know, maybe you should do something else, but that is, it's not human to do what these people are doing. And I think, you know, people have asked, what would you like the general public to know? And I think that's important to know is that we're asking them to do stuff that's not human. Like it really is. And I, and I think that there's some challenges now with this, this COVID-19 pandemic, you can see the healthcare workers that are struggling, right? Because we've asked them to do more than is humanly possible, right? Yes.
0: So, um, so then, so in this, then are you supporting, uh, first responders before they get, like, is this something that then will always be available like long before they get to a point?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what, a lot of what I'm doing right now is, is in talking about this, um, is, is creating some awareness about this. And I, you know, what do we need to do fix these situations so they don't happen again? You know, people have asked what would be different? What would I've done differently?
0: yes how could i have
1: not ended up in the situation that i was and and had i had some education awareness early on in my career
0: mm-hmm. huge huge yes. that's
1: how that, that's how you break stigmas is is you is you education you know people i think fear things that they don't understand or don't know enough about and so we need to educate these people early on we need to equip them equip them with a skill set mm. very much like i think the detachment technique can offers the ability to calm yourself in situations the ability to process some of these traumas um, that's important. That's really, really important. And get these conversations going like this, Cindy, like being able to talk to you, uh, on your wonderful podcast and, and hopefully help somebody else out. Or, um, I think, yeah, I break some of those cultural norms that exist. Um, mm-hmm. but it needs to start early before it's too late. We're very much a reactionary society, you know, unfortunately, especially yeah. with mental health, right. Yes. Uh, we wait for things to happen and, and I've lost, 5 coworkers that I know uh, in my career my 20-year career to suicide uh yeah. because of of this so I you know that that's too much it, it, it's uh, I think we're asking too much of these people yeah yeah and
0: so where can thank you this yeah. oh yeah <laughs> yeah I, I think I I am humbled by this whole conversation and in awe and um we're all so grateful that uh, you are here oh, um it. and um and look forward to all of the things that um are still to come. Where can people connect with you?
1: For sure, and I and I honestly I'm saying this I I'm happy to have these conversations. I I've I've really enjoyed people sharing their stories with me, and I've been humbled by these stories. And like you said before, Cindy, at the beginning of of our conversation is you had no idea what I was going through. I have no idea what some of these people are going through. And and so people have been vulnerable with me and and shared their stories. And I think that's an important thing to remember is we really don't know what people are going through. Right. Uh, I love that slogan, Bell. Let's like let's talk. Let's let's have a conversation. Let's start talking about these having these difficult conversations. So I, I urge people to reach out to me. Um, you, you can reach me at, uh, we have this amazing website up, uh, the detachment technique, www, sorry, www.detachmenttechnique.com. And I can be reached at, uh, Jeff at detachmenttechnique.com. And so send me an email. I'd love to hear your stories. I'd love to be, if I can help out or we can help out, our organization can help out in any way. Uh, I'd love to be a part of that. I really would yeah, anything that I can do. I, yeah.
0: I truly, I do think that's so true um, because I've seen you through this whole, like for the last few years too. I, and to be honest, it's like, see, I always say it's like the little windows of Instagram and you see like one little window in and I I think back and go like, could I have helped Jeff or like from the outside, I would have had no idea that you were struggling or had any anything going on and um so you I look around and think I wonder who else is struggling right like
1: yeah it's so that's so true Cindy and it's kind of scary to think about right is Think yes. like, who else is struggling we don't know and I think but by having these conversations maybe it 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 might push someone in the right direction to speak yes. about it and say listen if Jeff can talk about it Yes. You know, then, then maybe I can talk about it too. So um, th- that that's my intention because when I started, we didn't talk about it. Yeah. We didn't. And and the good paramedics were the stoic ones that didn't say anything. And yeah. I that's not normal. That's wrong. We're knowing that that gets you into a lot of trouble. So uh, I'm urging people to talk about it, whether it be with me or or a friend or family, whatever it may be. Reaching out to a professional. Just do it because it's uh, you get getting your life back is is so much different. You know, 14 months later, uh, the way I view my life and what I'm grateful for and and the people in my life and all that kind of stuff is so different than I felt 14 months ago when I was standing on the edge of that bridge. And so that's what I want to urge people is to um, whether it's like a slight glimmer of hope, um, please hang on to it. It's a a suicide is a um, what do they talk like an impulsive decision. You do, it's a a, um, short-term or long-term solution to a. Like I'm going to get that saying wrong. You
0: People want to push trauma away. Um, and really what I I believe you're doing with this is you're opening a space for trauma so that you no longer have to push it away. You have a welcomed your trauma in um, in a way that it's you've made space for it where you feel safe with it um, so that you understand yourself fully, but you're not scared of it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I, I think you put it in a great way. I think you're absolutely right. We cannot get rid of trauma. You can't, right? Yeah. We, you know, especially for first responders, that's part of your job is to see these things. And unfortunately, you know, in Canada, we have a very high percentage of our general population that struggles with post-traumatic stress as well, too. And it's things like, you know, uh, things that we see on the news, vicarious trauma, being exposed to, um, you know, some of the atrocities that are happening in the world, uh, sexual assault, domestic violence those kind of things put people at risk for developing PTSD. So you're right. We cannot, it's part of, unfortunately it's, it's part of of our lives, but we need to learn how to deal with it and and accept it. So it doesn't take over, consume our lives like it, like it has done for so many people. You know, we don't have to look too far. We can look to the downtown East side and see people that are struggling with trauma, right? Those are people that are, you know, I, can't imagine what they've gone through in their lives and they're dealing with it in the only way they know how to and and that's you know um you know symptom relief from self-medication so um yeah i I think we need to figure out healthy ways to deal with this stuff it starts early it starts before we have a problem um and that's that yeah i'm really passionate about that
0: yeah
1: yeah
0: well thank you
1: thank you for the amazing work you're doing and i'm super excited um I know more about the energy. And I love that. I love the fact that you're doing that. I couldn't think of a better person to be doing this too. Oh, good. So, I,
0: so. I, I love that you're like, I, even that knowing that you are now open to these conversations, right? <laughs> I know. It's so good. So good. I know.
1: And it, and, and it is. And I think that, that, that um, uh, having some alternative options is really important too. Uh, the conventional treatment for PTSD is, is, you know, is, is, is the success rates aren't great. For people that go through conventional treatment, you know, including like medication. Yes. As I talk about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR therapy is another uh, uh, form of treatment. Conventional um, conventional treatment is not as successful as, as we'd like it to be. But I think people need to have a, other options out there too, yes. right? Try try other things. It's uh, don't give up, and that's the biggest thing. Because I was ready to give up, but uh, having this this alternative option, and, and trust me. Uh, I am one of the big biggest skeptics out there, and and yeah. so that's why you know I, I love things that surprise me and, and uh, change change the way I view things. So
0: I know I love like the fact that you are talking about EFT tapping.
1: <laughs> I know, and and so it, what's bizarre like you look at um, this is being used in the U.S. military is using this as a yes. so um, you know just when you start thinking about how like okay this is totally hokey you know we'll think that they're you know some of the toughest guys in the world or and women are in the world are using this as a technique on their nervous systems before they go into some very scary situations so I think we need to try these things um uh, they're effective um you know I've taken medication like I'm not saying that that we don't need medication in this world please I'm not saying that but uh some of these medications that i've taken for depression and anxiety have had some significant side effects you know yeah. so uh, if you can do things without having to take invasive treatments like having to take medications long term and that sort of thing build a health, healthy skill set before things get you know where they shouldn't be all the be- you know if you, tapping i, I would have tried that early sure. You know, as a, as an option, right? Sure. Instead of taking medication, if I could use uh, EFT as a skill set to help deal with some anxiety, absolutely. I think it's important.
0: I and I think too, um, like I now see it for my kids. Um, and and Chase will, well, he's not going to hear this, so it's okay. But if he can't sleep, he'll ask me to send him Reiki, and I love that. That he's just like uh, I can't sleep, and he's overwhelmed or anxious. Yeah. And so he'll just say, "Could you please send me Reiki?" And I'm like, "Sure." And so the fact that uh, we can open it up to them to know that you know that they when they're younger and they're like, "Just could you just send me that?" And like in five minutes he's out. I'm like, "Yeah, of course." Like that they their their anxiety doesn't have to build like we did. Like oh yeah, God, like no, just just try tapping, try this. Oh yeah, you need some Reiki. Okay, you know how to ask for it, and then you can go off to sleep. Like that they don't have to be sitting in a room for hours feeling like that paranoia that we often would get, right?
1: Absolutely. And and you know, and being able to self-advocate as well too is huge. Is yes. to be you able know, to, to in that situation go, I need this. I this need is, this. I need this. And yeah. yeah. And this is what I can do for myself too, right? Yes. This is another, you know, that, that that's a big thing too. I and please can you send me?
0: send something. me something you
1: need to send me something tonight because i yes. I, I i struggle with sleep so yeah, i'll I, send I, you some reiki yeah, absolutely i'm not, i'm yes. not afraid to say that so tell yes. chase that i have no problem saying that. yes jeff has trouble sleeping yes. uh, but um i yeah I, I think that that's super important i think that's great yes. that you're developing a, a vocabulary too at an early age to be able to say this so you know a lot of like i didn't know how to say that i was anxious or i didn't know how to you know, one of those things and being able to, uh, has been really powerful for me too, is being able to, um, say where I can feel anxieties, you know, I can feel it in my chest or feel it in my neck or yes. quite often that takes away, you know, part of that energy as well as just being able to, to name it, know exactly what it is and what you're feeling
0: yes. and how to get help
1: in those situations. Uh, super important. No.
0: so good. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but I know that's something even like for you and Leanne, um, there's a whole thing now where they, t- I mean, I'm not just going to talk about your love languages, but they talk about how like the new love languages are to be able to express your trauma to your partner. So your partner can understand your trauma better. And also to be able to explain your nervous system better so that you can be able to say like, right now I'm feeling this so that I need to step back and to be able to express that to your partner so that you two can actually understand each other. So that if your partner's yelling that that might be triggering something for you so that you don't get, to in each other's face that you can just say, you know what, right now, yeah, you're breathing heavy, I'm feeling anxious. And you can express your body to the other person mm-hmm. so that you can actually then take a step back and just say, okay, this is, this is what's happening. And so that you actually, it's more than just like, I need touch. It's that you actually can express deeper what's happening for yourself.
1: That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I think of, you know, how, uh, this, uh, disease is sort of, um, bled into my relationships and and how I've struggled with even being able to express myself to my family, my yes. kids and, and kids will be kids. And but that that, you know, dealing with some of the challenges, you know, as a parent who's struggling with PTSD and being able to communicate with others and tell them what they're feeling. So yeah. I love that you said that. And it goes both ways because I know how yeah. damaging this has been on my family and and um so you know what they've experienced and how I've made them feel in some of these situations. So um I, I love that. If we can you imagine that the the hours of fighting uh that in yes. arguing that we would uh you know wait that we've wasted right we've if we wasted can tell people yes. what we're feeling.
0: Yes. And, well uh, and another in here when we come back seven minutes later we'll realize it's, we'll it's all,
1: yeah and I love that. I, I journal every day. So I that's part yeah. of my my thing. It's it's been hard hard to get into but it's it's something that it's once really, you're there, yeah. it's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I got a little oh. lot walk- well the lock and key that goes with it too it's really <laughs> fun, <so. laughs> yeah. uh, uh,
0: well thank you Jeff yeah. that's um, so good this I is really great conversation.
1: appreciate it and like how yeah I think how great this is you know like who I would know. have thought in high school that we would be having this conversation <laughs> uh, 30 years I later know. so I love I it I love the work love you're it. doing everything about it so oh, thank, thank
0: you, you. Thank you so much for being with us today on this very special day. Today, take some time to lean in, lean into somebody special, even if that somebody is you. Enjoy the moments, those in-between moments, when you're not doing anything at all, because when it comes right down to it, the in-between moments are the ones that really matter. When we slow down and we realize that the morning coffee is really so delicious, when we're driving from point A to B and that great song comes on that triggers a memory of our high school days, and when we realize we found $5 in our pocket that we, we forgot about, those are the moments that make up our life and when it comes right down to it that is what's so important lean in on to somebody that matters most to you and give them a smile have a great day